calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Content warning, this episode will contain conversations around sexual assault, sexual violence, and rape. Hey there, everyone. Kristen here to ease us into today's special episode, which is a re-airing of Seeing Red and the Monster Myth. It's a conversation between myself, Alba Daza, and Jess Clark, who has been doing professional work in sexual violence prevention for over a decade. You'll learn more about Jess in episode and also in today's show notes, and we are so thankful to have had him with us and to have Alba here in conversation as well. Before we roll into the main episode, I just want to touch on three things. Uh, I'm going to give you a brief layout of what to expect in our conversation, uh, a note on how Black men specifically factor into the monster myth, and why this episode's re-airing is important now after season seven's second episode, Beneath You. In episode, Jess will define the monster myth for us and apply that directly to seeing Red and Spike's arc before and after that episode of the series. We're going to discuss the importance of allowing for nuance and complexity in the response to sexual assault and in the relationships that exist between those who have been harmed and those who have harmed them. We'll also discuss accountability. In brief, and we'll get into this much more in episode, the monster myth is the idea that the person who might commit sexual assault is a stranger who we don't know and who is, quote, bad. This myth, as you would imagine, is incredibly dangerous as it is most often the people we know intimately who commit sexual assault. It both prevents us from being able to recognize potential harmful behaviors in those we know, and it also prevents us from being able to recognize harmful behaviors in ourselves. In episode, we're going to talk about some of the visual cues given to us in media when the monster, quote, in this myth is a white man. Shows like SVU are notorious for showing us the creepy white dude with a van to signal sexual danger. Something that we didn't address in episode and that we spoke with Mac about after its initial airing is the reality that black men are also often positioned as sexual predators. When a black man is positioned as the, quote, monster in this myth, though, he doesn't need any coding past his blackness, underlining the racist structures that tell us that white men in general are not automatically dangerous, so they need visual markers to be coded as such, whereas being a black man is marked as visually dangerous as a default. As we go deeper into season seven, we will be unpacking this a lot more. 
The biggest reason that we chose to re-air this episode in the main feed now, the week after Beneath You, is to double down on the conversations surrounding accountability and on the nuance that exists when there is a pre-existing intimate relationship that has to be navigated in the context of harm. You'll hear Jess talk about those who share childcare responsibilities, finances, and in other ways still have to rely on the person who has harmed them. And also hear us speak to the importance of letting the person harmed, in this case Buffy, dictate the terms of the relationship. Too long didn't read? This is a complicated and nuanced dynamic and we want to keep looking at it through that lens. Okay, on we go to the episode, and please note that today's episode of Angel on Top is also live. It's in its brand new feed, so you can click the link in the show notes to find them or head on over to bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash angelontop. It's me, Kristen, and I'm here in a very special space with two wonderful humans. Uh, Alva, hi. Hi. Uh, And Jess Clark, hello. Welcome back. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yes. uh, You all know me, I think. I think you know me by now. Uh, And I think you know Alva as well, who's been with us for this whole past season. Uh, Jess uh, was here with us in the episode for Dead Things. Uh, And so we're going to dig into Seeing Red and specifically uh, the scene in Seeing Red that that has sexual assault. Um, And so before we even jump off into the deep end, uh, everyone... With I a backflip and a twist. With, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Olympic well, style. That, yeah, actually, you're right. I'm going to jump off the, the diving board. And before I land in the deep end with both of you for this conversation, I'm going to do a couple of backflips in talking about what we're doing here and why we're doing it. So imagine me in air as I'm delivering this information to you. <laughs> what kind of bathing they, suit are you wearing? Do you have like I'm that little, little cap with the little flowers oh, on it? I definitely have a and cap. And like the little definitely. puffy shorts. Yes, that's what I see. Puff, oh, puffy shorts. I wouldn't have gone there, but you've put me in them. So <laughs> it's your mind. You know, it's really. <laughs> Vintage synchronized swimming Exactly. That's costume, exactly. That's what I'm picturing. Kristen synchronized swimming. But no, in all seriousness, just a little bit of context into what we're doing or what we're hoping to do in this episode. The first thing that I want to do is just frame this conversation. This episode is going live the same day as our episodic conversation on seeing red. This episode serves as a space to really dig into the sexual assault scene in this episode. And our episodic conversation will not be digging into that. Of course, as we go forward in the seasons, there will be conversation on like what else happens in Spike's arc and how it relates back to that. We'll discuss that here too. But this space um, together here is the place where we're going to be really looking at those things in depth as responsibly as possible. And with Jess and Alba's voices in the mix, we're getting perspectives that are really important um, to have when talking about this scene and all that goes along with it. All of that uh, as context, uh, just before we before we go any further, I think, you know, probably many people have heard you talk in uh, Dead Things. But for those who have not heard you there or who aren't familiar with your work, can you just tell us a little bit about um, what you do and how you're going to bring that work into this space? Absolutely. So I am the prevention manager at a place called Solace. We are the Rape Crisis Center in Santa Fe, New Mexico. 
It's lovely. Everyone should come visit. And doing primary prevention of sexual violence means that we're trying to prevent future acts of harm by changing the culture that perpetuates rape myths, rigid gender norms, systems of oppression, so on and so forth. So we do that through programming in the schools, working specifically with middle school students, working with the adults in their life, doing policy change work, and then working with a couple of communities that are disproportionately targeted for violence. So at our center, that means working with immigrant communities and with LGBTQ plus plus youth. And so we do transgender education as a form of sexual violence prevention, which I think is a really cool thing. So how I'll be bringing that into this episode is looking at how dominant narratives around sexual violence, especially as presented in media, have prepared us to think about violence in the real world in some really specific and harmful ways, and how this episode both upholds some of those narratives and really turns them upside down in what I think are some really interesting ways and gives us an opportunity to really confront those narratives with new eyes, with a new perspective, um, which I think is one of the greatest things about genre television, genre movies, is we get to look at things from a different perspective while having some distance from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the, I mean, if you listened to, uh, if you're listening to this and you listened to our episode with Sarah Duncan, which took normal again and looked at mental health representations in pop culture, it's going to be a, a little bit of a uh, different nuance here because of some of the topics that you're going to be talking about. But I do do love the overlap of just continuing to really look at media mm-hmm. uh, and say, how has our day to day informed media and how does our me- how does our media continue to inform our day to day? And like, what is this? What is the damage here of this snake that is eating its own tail or the what is the power? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just really excited. We will come to the conversation in many ways, um, but just so thankful to have uh, to have you here and Alba to have you here as well. And I don't know if you want to talk at all about the importance of um, you being in this space, mm-hmm. you know, because you've talked a bit to us offline about why it's really important um, for you to talk about this specifically. And so, um, do you want to do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, I think I was thinking this morning about why it's important to have different voices and spaces and what my role is in a lot of places. And I think it's really just to allow other people who are more similar to my identity, um, you know, women of color to feel seen and to feel like we exist and that our experiences are real, you know, Um, and that we're not alone. Because I think that so much of media, as we're talking about, you know, doesn't represent Um, my demographic very much and so often I felt very alone in my experience in my life I felt like things were wrong with me or why am I experiencing this or am I crazy you know it's like a very um gaslit kind of society that we live in gaslighting society that we live in so for me to be here is really to give my own personal voice obviously I'm not like every single person in the world but it's so that people who have experiences similar to mine know that they are not alone. And I am, mm-hmm. what is my sexual identity? I don't know. I, gen- genuinely, I, I don't know. 
but I tend to date men um, Mm -hmm. and sleep with men, uh, cis men. So cis white men. Um, So (laughs) that's a real thing. And I have experienced a array of different things and relationships Mm -hmm. and interactions. And that's a really real thing that um, you know, women of color and women have to deal with is sleeping with men. <laughs> I mean, not everybody, but you know, a bunch well, of that, us. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that is so, because I like, I have not had relationships with men. I have certainly had plenty of experiences with men, <laughs> but I have not had like meaningful relationships mm-hmm. with men. Um, I've not dated men. And so I also think from, I mean, you know, from all these perspectives, it's important, but I think that's a massive yeah. piece of experience to have in this conversation. Yes. Um, so yes, just, just doubling down on, yes, that is also very, very important. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, as, um, as, as painful as it is, I, I relate to Buffy, you know, I like, I, I get it and I get, um, I've never had anything so graphic happen to me, um, or so overt happen to me, but there's so much nuance in mm-hmm. sexual relationships and consent in, um, you know, these, these interactions that we have with each other. And unfortunately, often it's like a very, um, kind of like hetero normative dynamic of, you know, men, women, sex, blah, blah, blah. Um, So I just wanted to be here and to participate in this conversation to the best of my ability and to hopefully uh, let people, I don't know, see uh, see my perspective if you're not my demographic and also feel seen if you are from my demographic. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's why I think it's important for me to be here. And I was like, I have to be here for this conversation. Yes. So, so, so we're all here. And I like, as you could, as you know, if you listen to this podcast, like we don't script our conversations, we have pretty loose outlines and we just let the conversations take us wherever we might go. Um, But just you've spoken to us uh, a lot offline about something called the monster myth. And I think you'd know better than me, but I think it's going to frame a lot of this conversation. So do you want to just tell our listeners um, about what that is, what that means when we say the monster myth? I would love to do that. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. (laughs) So I'm going to frame this the way that we do with middle school students. And that's because uh, most of us did not get any of this education in middle school. And so we're doing a lot of catch up now. So I want us to think about shows like Law & Order SVU. Yeah, everybody has seen at least a couple Mm -hmm. episodes. It's a really Mm -hmm. useful show because it's been on for so for approximately 500 billion years. It's as old as Spike. Yeah. It's as old, yes. <laughs> Law and Order SVUs in the, in the recent years has really improved, but had many years up until that improvement that told the same story over and over and over again. So the questions I'm asking you, I don't want you to think about what you see all the time or even once in a while, but what you saw on those shows most of the time. All right. So mm-hmm. on Law and Order SVU, the person who assaults another person, the person they call the rapist, how would you describe that person? The large, violent man. Large, violent man. Criminal. Criminal. Loner, uh, awkward. Probably has a van. Yeah. 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 So that'll be uh, next. Yeah. Hoodies. Hoodies. Oh, yeah. Hoodies. Yes. Hoodies. If you, had, mm-hmm. if you had just one word to describe this person, what would it be? 
creepy. Okay. So scary, when we ask middle scary. school students, yeah, how would you describe this person? The number one answer we get is creepy dude. Creepy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the next question we ask is, what does creepy dude drive? And it's- Oh, I already van. got it. You're van. Already, yeah. yes. van. You skipped ahead. <laughs> so we have creepy dude in the van. And where does the assault take place? Alleyway. Yeah. Dark alley. Dark. Yeah. What kind of neighborhoods? Probably uh, poor, yeah, yeah, lower class, class. working class neighborhoods. Yeah. Or like downtown, you know, like. Yes. Like sketchy downtown areas. Abandoned buildings. Abandoned buildings, yeah. Places where people are not generally. So we have creepy dude in the van, in the dark alley, in the van, in the abandoned warehouse, the park at night, all of these places. And then the person who gets assaulted, uh, what does that person look like? The person they call the victim. Probably like a white woman. Uh, Yeah. What about her age? I would say like late teens to mid 20s. Exactly. Yeah. Vulnerable. Yeah. Just very vulnerable age. Um, Definitely like a good good kid, you know? Yes. It's usually the good kids. Uh, So let's hold on to that good kid piece because that's about innocence. Mm -hmm. So this whole story that we see happen over and over and over again and it's usually that she's kidnapped by a stranger and pulled into the van all of this is so unlike what sexual assault looks like in the real world but it's dictated what we believe sexual assault is in the real world so we have this idea of this creepy man in the van which acts as our kind of boogeyman under the bed situation and this is the person we're supposed to be afraid of this is really harmful in that in reality, over 82% of the time, it's people we know, not the creepy man in the van. And then we get into the monster word and we get harmed in a couple of ways. The first is it keeps us from recognizing harmful behaviors in others. So let's say there is um, a serial rapist and that person is caught and the news station goes to that person's neighborhood and they start to interview the neighbors. And what do the neighbors say about this person? I'm holding up my, oh, my imaginary <laughs> microphone right now. Oh, he was, he, I could have never imagined. He helped me all the time with the yard work. He seems so yes. normal. Yes. Wouldn't hurt Friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. That's because we've been trained to look for a creepy guy in the van. We haven't been trained to look for everyday person in our life who, yeah, always helped me with the yard work. But you know what? Always helped me with the yard work after I had said no four or five times and was just so mm-hmm. persistent that I just gave up. So keeps us from recognizing harmful behaviors in others, and then keeps us from recognizing harmful behaviors in ourselves. Mm-hmm. So you ask a group of college men, have you ever held someone down in order to have sex with them? Have you ever gotten someone drunk in order to have sex with them? Have you ever drugged someone in order to have sex with them? Some percentage of college men will say yes to those things. But if you ask them, have you ever raped someone? What do they say? No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like in a horrified way. Exactly. Like, yeah. Absolutely not. I would never. Mm-hmm. And that's because we think of rape as monster, rape as evil, mm-hmm. rape as this caricature that I'm not a creepy guy. I'm the captain of the sports ball team. I couldn't think of a sport in that moment. Sports ball. I'm a sports ball, <laughs> sports ball team. You said sports ball. Okay. Uh, <laughs> also, like, <laughs> straight A student, student council, you know, 
or just generally uh, just nice guy getting nice, into the incel nice stuff guy. that we were yeah. talking about during Dead Things. Because I'm a nice guy. I'm not a creepy man in the van. I'm not a monster. Right. And so it does those two things. But then it also, for survivors, causes, gosh, so much harm in that because most people are taught that it's creepy dude in the van, when most people are in fact harmed by people we know and love, it causes a lot of confusion, a lot of self-blame. It also teaches women lots of ways to stay safe because it's all about strangers mm -hmm. and all kinds of state safety tips that mm -hmm. just make people's worlds small. Mm -hmm. um, they're all about don't, don't wear this, don't drink this, don't go there, don't be in this neighborhood. What if you live in that neighborhood? So we do this in middle school classrooms as we ask them, what are the safety tips you've been taught? And it's don't go out at, after dark, which we call the reverse vampire, um, carry the keys and the Wolverine hand, uh, mm -hmm. carry pepper spray. So they don't actually, where these things don't actually work. But what they do is they do what my, my, my brilliant partner, Alina Scheim, she runs a self-defense organization and their empowerment self-defense. So it is not a victim blaming self-defense. Um, it is looking at how people are actually targeted. But she says, no, these safety tips, they make people's world small. They, they act as a tool of social control for folks mm -hmm. who are already marginalized. The purpose is not mm -hmm. to keep people safe. The purpose is to keep people under control and pe mm -hmm. keep people scared, which I think is, is brilliant. And yeah, that's, that's what they serve to do. And then when someone is harmed, just as you were saying, Alba, then it's, well, why were you in that neighborhood? Why weren't you wearing that drug detecting nail polish, which ew, you're putting your finger in a drink, your dirty bar finger, disgusting. There's a drug detecting nail polish? Yeah, yeah, it exists. I, that's There's so fucked, but I'm like, I want that. I know, I know, it's, Jess, when you were fully delivering it, like, yeah, can you believe that shit? And Alba I and like, I both were like, oh, I love that. I love it. <laughs> I think you hit on something so important. That's why I love empowerment self-defense so much. So organizations like Impact, um, which there are chapters all over the country and even the world, they do self-defense that is not about criticizing what someone has done in the past, but giving them lots of skills to be in the world by themselves without any of these products, without these safety tips mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so that mm -hmm. folks can, folks' worlds can get bigger instead of smaller. Because mm -hmm. the other thing about all these safety tips is they all assume that someone who's going to harm us is a stranger. I'm not going to be there in my dorm room, rape whistle at the ready. Like, no, that's not right. how it goes. It's no, these are all yeah. based on strangers. And so they don't even impact the way that sexual violence typically happens. Which is right, and that, and that gets to like the heart of it all, which is like I'm assuming that like the the core of the monster myth here is what we've been discussing, which is we are taught because of media that people who will hurt us are strangers who are creepy dudes, mm -hmm. um, and we are also taught that uh, if we get hurt, it is probably because we were doing something wrong um right and so like i i would just like because i know i mean we have a lot to talk about here but like bring us take that uh, uh, just if you will and bring us into this scene in this episode because it is i shouldn't say the scene bring us into this arc in this television show really because it begins with it, it doesn't begin with the scene actually it goes before the scene the scene is the moment of of assault itself and then it continues forward so can we apply this and can i say one more thing about the victim blaming mm -hmm. piece which is yeah there's, there's and you said something really important Kristen, which was that this whole myth leads us to believe that 
good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, because good people don't do these things that they're not supposed to do, or they follow the safety tips or what have you. Um, so there's, that's called just world theory. We believe that the, the world is just, good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, and therefore, if this happened to you, what were you doing to make this happen? Mm. And, and it acts as kind of a, a, a coping strategy for living in this world that is causing harm to so many people because it, it creates distance for us then we get to go, okay, well, this isn't about me because I would never do that. I would never go down that dark alley. It's the thing when you're watching horror movies, Chris, and I know you love horror movies, is the moment where they're running up the stairs or going into the house or running out of the house and they don't do that. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. we want to believe that we would make a different decision, mm -hmm. which we're not able to do unless we're, we don't know all of the context of that moment. Um, we really want to believe that we would make a dis different decision in that situation. Mm -hmm. And it's just scary for us to think about the people in our world causing harm, that we That's hold on to scary. the monster myth, we hold on to the victim blaming because it gives us something, it gives mm -hmm. us the feeling that we can do something to navigate the world that is so scary for so many people. And yeah. so... I do want to say that I will never, ever shame or blame someone for holding on to this stuff. We've been, mm -hmm. we aren't given a whole lot of options otherwise. Yeah. And yeah. we do need to challenge it in a structural way, not in an individual way, in a structural way. So Jess, now we know what the monster myth is, what it means. Uh, probably a lot of us knew this without knowing the name for it, um, right? Like that, like we have this sense that like something feels off about the way we talk about these things. And um, obviously uh, an appropriate title for this, given the fact that what we're talking about in this television series is a literal monster uh, you know, c committing sexual violence against our slayer in this episode, but also there was a past and there will be a future. So do you want to talk a little bit about how, because I know this is just, I was saying this off mic, but just like, this is your shit. This is like your favorite thing to talk about is applying the monster myth to what we see here with Spike and Buffy. I do want to say that it has both ends of things. Having mm -hmm. Spike specifically, this literal monster sexually assault Buffy impacts people in a couple of different ways. And those ways are really contrasting and they're or conflicting even, and they're both true at the same time. And we can't hold one over the other. Just many things have to be true at the same time and that has to be okay. So on one hand, having Spike this monster assault Buffy is awful in that Buffy's a straight up superhero. If she freezes and, and and her lack of fighting back, oftentimes a freeze is really like a freeze, mm -hmm. but her fighting back at the level that she did, I think is Buffy's version of freeze. Yeah. Um, Cause the thing yeah. about a freeze response is it's something that can be unlearned. We can work through the freeze response as humans. Mm -hmm. um, if we mm -hmm. learn about it, we practice it, so on and so forth. Um, but if Buffy freezes, what hope is there for anyone else to resist an assault, which I think is just, really demoralizing. Um, and I think it feeds into all kinds of awful narratives about women not being capable of fighting back in the context of an assault. Mm -hmm. The second is Buffy is supposed to be anything other than weak. She's supposed to be everything that women and basically everyone except for cisgender men are told we <laughs> should not and cannot be. And so to take that away from us, to take mm -hmm. that away from the audience, I think feels like a betrayal on one hand. 
And then it's just really, really graphic. This is a terrible scene to watch. It's awful. I love talking about this episode and I, I watched this last night and I, I Mm -hmm. visibly cringe. I, I, I jump up in my seat because I'm so pained by watching this. It's from when she hits the side. I, I'm not even going to go into it, but it's awful. It's awful. And I actually, I also watched it last night and I like, I, I obviously all of us know it's an awful scene, but I sort of never have my expectations set where it needs to be, to be ready to intake it. Mm-hmm. And what I realized also last night watching it was that not only is it just like really violent and really graphic and really long, but on top of all of that, the words that she says Oh God. The way that she, the way no. that she cries out for help her is voice? something oh we have God. never heard her in that no. tenor ever, no. ever on the show. Like We've the never heard raspiness her of her voice. Yes. Oh my yes. God. It's like, oh. it's viscerally fucked up. And uh, like, and, and to your point, Jess, like it's both things uh, because like, I wouldn't want a scene where like, because Buffy is a superhero, she can just defeat this and be fine that she isn't uh, a vulnerable as a woman, you know, like I, I wouldn't want to see that, but I also don't want to see this. So I don't know what the answer is, but no. Yeah, it's awful. And then we have to see it over and over again. Over and over and over again. The flashbacks and yeah, it's terrible. So I do want to start by saying, I hate this scene. I hate watching it. It's, painful for me. Um, I work with survivors every day and this scene affects me in a way that working with survivors in real life and hearing about what they have experienced does not affect me in the same, in the same way. Um, And here's the flip side is showing this assault acts as a counterpoint to the monster myth. Um, That monster myth can tell people who have been assaulted by people we know that, oh, well, it wasn't really rape because this was my date. This was my partner. Well, it wasn't that bad. It it wasn't like I was kidnapped by this creepy dude in the van Mm -hmm. or what's wrong with me that I still care for this person? What's wrong with me that I even still love this person? And then why didn't I see that in them? What's wrong with me that I didn't see them? So that by, by flipping it, we're then in the position to have survivors for some survivors who've been harmed by people we know, instead see this, see Buffy Mm -hmm. and go, okay, well, I wasn't alone. Yeah, this was someone I knew. This was someone I cared for and loved. But I'm very clear that Buffy, that that was sexual assault. And therefore I can be clear that that was sexual assault for me, which means that I might be able to access the help that I need. Yeah. It was that bad, Mm -hmm. right? Buffy fought him off and still it was that bad. Mm -hmm. right right if this could happen to Buffy who is so strong who is a literal superhero maybe it wasn't because I was weak maybe it wasn't because I wasn't strong enough to fight this what did I believe about myself that it's not that I was believing that I deserved this no it's that Mm -hmm. this this happens and sometimes people freeze and you know, the, I'm just thinking of this in sort of real time, having just watched the the rest of the season. It's it also parses out. I mean, listen, none of us are here to be like, we are just so glad that this scene exists and that this is the way the writers chose to go. But this is what we've got. And so we're, we're, we're working our way through it. But I think that there's 
Maybe. Something powerful also about the fact that Buffy, you had mentioned like, right, Buffy still like has feel, cares for the character of Spike even after this happens. But one of the first things that she does after this is she has, she doesn't know that Spike is gone yet, but she has Dawn go there because she knows that Spike will protect Dawn. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like a fucking fascinating piece of what you're saying, Jess, because the character of Buffy Summers parses in her mind that the violence that has happened in that bathroom is a specific violence, a specific moment happened there, and that it does not automatically make um, Spike a creepy guy with a van. Uh, It's more complicated than that. And I'm not advocating for either which way. I'm just sort of thinking live that, like, there's there might be some power there, too. Very much so. And it, I think it gives us this opportunity to have more nuance and and our response to this scene i think as buffy fans is really it's really complex and it's varied because our response to sexual violence especially sexual violence by people we know it is complex mm. it can be not for everybody but for many of us it can be so complex like we can be so clear that the assault was wrong yeah and we can still have dissonant feelings we can have confusing feelings about the person yeah. who harmed us we can yeah. straight up love them and still say this wasn't okay they can be even accountable for it. Mm-hmm. And for some survivors, that person can stay in their life, right? Like for yeah. Buffy, where she's saying, right. yeah, Dawn, go go to Spike. Some people are harmed by their partner and then have to do childcare the next day right. and do the right. logistics yeah. of that. And what does that look like? And I think that one of the, the most things that the monster myth does is it for all of fo- the folks who fall within that is mm-hmm. it gives us nowhere to go with it. it there's mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. way to talk about it without then being blamed for still oh. being with this person or loving this person. I mean, think about, have you ever broken up with someone and then your friend is like, oh my goodness, thank God you broke up with them. They were the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that, people. Don't do that. <laughs> and <sighs> so now add domestic violence, intimate partner violence onto that. Right. And this person says, oh gosh, they were so awful, which now makes the person who's been harmed be like, well, why didn't I see that? What's wrong with me? And then if they get back together with that person, they've just become further isolated because I'm not going to go and talk to that friend anymore. A hundred percent. Well, and that's the Xander of it all. That is the Xander of it all. Yes. Yeah. 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 Sorry, Alba, go ahead. And then we can get into the Xander of it all. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to say kind of an observation of uh, Buffy and like her weakness, like quote unquote, and also her strength. And that, um, you know, for me, I have like so much ingrained problematic thinking. You know, my first response is still that well, Buffy was weak because it happened, right? She was weak because she got into the relationship with him. And Mm -hmm. that's not like, I'm framing it in my mind. I'm like live processing right now that like she was in a weak moment to get into a toxic relationship with Spike, right? Like she just came out of heaven and lost her mom and all this stuff. Like, it's not that she wasn't in a vulnerable place. And I think that that's okay too, but that doesn't mean that you are inherently weak. It might mean that like you were having a hard time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that, if that makes sense or if that, I don't know what you think about that, Jess, if that's a problematic thing to say. I think our culture has gotten kind of overly dependent on or into uh, framing vulnerability as weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Mm. One of those self-defense classes I took, there was a woman who was, and these, these classes are, are experiential. So it's a guy in a suit saying terrible things and you're in a scene and it feels very realistic. Um, It's the best and scariest thing I've ever done for myself. Um, Absolutely transformative. But there was one moment in in a class where a woman is in the scene and she broke down crying. And in that moment, I think so many of our instincts would be to stop the scene and say, okay, okay, are you okay? And and stop and, and take care of her. But instead the instructor, the, the person who was helping her came up to her and she said, you're still powerful when you're crying. Mm. And it gave this person the opportunity to Mm. go, okay. And she cried Mm. through the rest of her scene and worked through it and came out talking about how it was so fantastic that she got to reframe that for her, that that it was reframed for her. When I'm crying, it's not that I am weak. When I'm crying, it's that this is one expression of being powerful and owning where I'm at in the moment. Oh my God, that's so powerful. So that. Yeah, it really yeah. is. I'm going to crash. Oh, <laughs> that's not and like... you're still powerful. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that there's something to be said about the fact that Buffy and Spike were in a toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. And I will not go deep into the conflict is not abuse uh, bin over here. But like, I do think that it's, I think that we are starting to really get confused about the difference between uh, like a toxic relationship, a relationship that is unhealthy, um, and then moments of abuse, uh, moments of assault, moments of like this is a moment of assault in what was a an unhealthy relationship for both parties. Um, And I think that 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 lack of nuance can also lead to not knowing when you're supposed to label something Mm -hmm. as this is not okay. And like, this could be better, should be better, but also like it is, it is not this other thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. Same. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Let's do the Xander of it all. Okay, great. Let's talk to us about the Xander of it all. Xander could just teach a masterclass on how to not respond when your friend has been sexually assaulted. 
Like he does basically everything he's not supposed to do. He makes it all about himself and his anger. And he is expecting Buffy to respond in a really specific emotional way, which is not how trauma works. Um, At the end, he doesn't even ask how she's doing. It is all about what he needs. It's all about how he feels and what Buffy has done to him by getting sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. It's the Xander of it all. We could, yeah. And it it feels like it bounces right off of the monster myth that we oh, were yeah. talking about. Exactly. It's like, because he did this thing, he is all these mm-hmm. other things. And you cannot have any complicated feelings about this at all because he's the creepy evil dude in a van. And now you're like telling me that he's more than that. It, it's like Xander is just like living inside an episode of SVU as far insofar as I'm concerned. <laughs> And it plays into his good guy thing. It's Xander, yeah. part of his good guy thing is being the savior of the categorically stronger women around him. And he he gets something from it. He feels powerful by trying to exert that over Buffy, um, which is just plays into the same stuff. He makes himself the victim, right? Yeah. Of the situation. Yeah. And the hero, like and the hero, all at yeah. once. Can I take us on like a tiny detour? And if it gets confusing, we don't have to stay there. But like having just watched the rest of the season and having the room to be full of spoilers in this conversation, I I think that there's also like we are talking about one specific moment, but also an arc of Spike and Buffy. But inside of this season, we also have Warren, who is I mean, you've already been on dead things. So you've talked about that. Um, And it's like going through the from from this moment that we're talking about in seeing red till the end of the season. It's like we have Spike who has sexually assaulted Buffy. We have Warren who has literally like murdered a girl after attempting to rape her. Uh, And we have Xander, the like guy who really just doesn't feel like he's doing the right thing, even though he's not trying to like sexually assault women and he's whatever. And last night I was just really having a difficult time parsing the ending of the season. Spike leaves to go fucking get his soul. (laughs) We can talk about that. Uh, Warren has no skin. He's dead. He's poof, gone. Goodbye. No skin. Uh, And then... supposed to get like I don't know I just I have just, a thought I have a thought please, I've been wanting to tie in actually yeah and maybe yes. maybe this will make sense maybe not but as just so just in our original conversation that we had woof like back in October or November of 2020 um recommended these white pages for us to read mm-hmm. on sexual assault and sexual violence and um the the repeated rape offender and I was looking over my notes this morning and I was reading one of them for the first time. And I like skimmed it because I was like, fuck this. I just wanted to like burn the whole thing. But um, something that really kept coming back to me is this notion that these men are victims, that they believe that they are victims of women and or of masculinity or of society. And they just really have something to prove. Okay, I need to say that Kristen and Jess are both nodding in agreement with me. <laughs> We're doing the slow nod too. It's not even the quick nod. It's the yeah, uh uh-huh nod. (laughs) And it's it's something else that I think that 
abusers, I've noticed this pattern. Um, and also I find this ties in really well to white fragility and racism is that people believe that they are victims and they mm. are justified in causing mm. harm and taking what they want. And so what I see in Spike and what I see in what happened with Warren and what I see with Xander is all of these men think that they are the victims of the events that have occurred you know, mm-hmm. and that they were like somehow justified in doing, I mean, mm-hmm. I know Spike, like I'm hard air quotes, like knows he did something wrong, you know, yeah. but like, he's also like, I don't have a soul. I'm a victim of my existence and I have a check and <laughs> let me, I'm a, you know, true. let me yeah. go true. get a soul. Right. And when it's not yeah. just like, true. can you just get your fucking shit together, man? Like, <laughs> seriously, can you just grow the fuck up? <laughs> I'm serious. And I say this to like all the fucking straight men listening to this podcast, like, fuck you. (laughs) together. It's not our responsibility to coddle you through your abusive behavior. Mm -hmm. It is not. Fuck yeah. So. Fuck yeah. Stop. Okay. (laughs) Like, just fucking stop it. I can't be a man. I can't be a vampire. Oh no. Let me hurt the person I love. And like kind of take accountability by getting a soul but never actually really doing any reparation well this is probably a great time Mm -hmm. uh alba standing ovation Um, (laughs) (laughs) should put in an applause for me (laughs) yeah seriously um but but this is a great time maybe to to talk with you jess about accountability Mm -hmm. because we have we have the room in this episode to go past the scene we see and we know that at the I mean fuck the fucking writers on some of this shit because who knows if Spike always intended to get his soul general consensus says maybe mm-hmm. probably yes but also the writers certainly didn't want to give us that idea the the writers gave us the idea that he was like fuck buffy i'm going to fucking kill her now just so we would have this big twist at the end where he gets his so- fuck that yeah. don't fuck around i'm sorry but don't fuck around with like soul shit when you just had a character sexually assault another character yeah. but all that to say what is like what is your thought and I, you can start on either end right mm-hmm. the reality end which is like you you work with uh sexual assault survivors you work with people who are still in partnership in what one way or another with someone who has harmed them Um, so there's an accountability process that you witness on the day to day. And then there's like spikes accountability process. And I wonder what you have to say about all of that. So can I start by how we humanize spike? Because I think it leads into this piece. Of course. Okay. So spike loves fighting. Spike loves Mm. fighting. He thinks Mm. that it is the best. He loves conflict. He's just even straight up playful about it. So Part of the way that we know that Spike doesn't have a soul is the casual way in which he murders people, straight up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the scene, and just to go into the scene to then go out again, in the scene, he's not having fun. He's desperate. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is part of how they humanize him. They take away the fun. And yet Spike for me is more terrifying in this moment than he is in any other scene, no matter what he's doing. Even when he's killing the other slayers, this scene is far more terrifying than anything he's ever done, which going back to the monster myth, I think it's fascinating that with this literal monster, what makes him the scariest is making him human, is humanizing him. Such a great point. Oh my God, incredible. They have to take away the monster for the audience to actually fear fear Spike. Um, 
And one other thing with the show that I think is interesting is every time they portray sexual assault, either through metaphor or in reality, it's always done by humans. Um, so with the demon lizard patriarch, with the the frat, right, boys. the frat boys, that's a whole sexual assault mm-hmm. metaphor, of course. That's Warren a, is a human. With yeah. Even the yeah. Lowell house with that sexual abuse. Pe- yeah, they oh, were ghosts, yeah. but it happened when they were humans. You yeah. have the trio in Spike. And so it's either done by humans or then this vampire that they have to humanize in order to have him do this, which I think is, I, I love that they do this in that it, it really takes that monster myth piece and yeah. flips it upside down. Um, yeah. And that goes into accountability because in order to have kind of nuanced thinking around accountability, we have to believe that people who harm others, people who sexually assault others are human. Mm-hmm. And we have to kind of wrestle with our values around what we believe every human deserves, no matter what they do, which is complicated. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's because our Brains love to categorize things. The pan is hot. I move away from the pan. We we right. move yeah. away from pain. We move away from things that that cause us discomfort. Yeah, and that yeah. goes right into this person harmed somebody that I have pain around that, and so we distance ourselves, which serves a couple of purposes: is it keeps us from recognizing the 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 problem as a community problem and it makes it an individual problem. This person is bad. Mm. They're sick. They're wrong. They're evil. And therefore Mm. they need to be put in a cage instead of what's happening in our culture that made this happen. What's happening in our culture that made not this individual instance happen, but is making this happen on this grand scale. I think one of the magic things about Buffy is because so many of us rewatch it. We then have the opportunity to confront are conflicting th- thinking about Spike. And, and at this point, we can get into the, yeah. the audience reactions. Um, yeah. To get into our feelings about Spike, we have to continue to confront our reactions to this scene specifically in the context of Spike and his overall arc, which is interesting because it's, you know, what we as a society, and especially in the sexual assault movement, are starting to do with sexual assault because if the only options after an assault are either absolute disposal and this person is a monster, lock them in a cage, or our only other option is this kind of collective amnesia. So Mm. let's say a friend of mine is uh, accused of sexual assault. Okay. My options are to cut that person off entirely and, and straight up monsterize them or to pretend that it didn't happen and victim blame. Yeah. There's no room for real accountability in that. There's no room yeah. to witness the truth of it, which is that people we love can do awful things and should be held accountable while still providing absolute safety for the survivor, but not necessarily thrown in a cage. Where's yeah. the space for all of those things? And this is the the direction that that some of the sexual assault movement is is moving towards, which starts with listening to survivors who want an alternative to, to accountability and safety that's outside of the criminal legal system also, that also hurts survivors. One of the biggest things I learned when I first started in this work or most kind of shocking things was that a sexual assault survivor in a criminal case, they're not anybody's client. They don't, they're not anybody's client. They are a witness to the state. <gasps> oh, right. no, that Whoa. made my whole body right? feel like jello. Yes, that is that. Wow. What? The fuck? Yeah, they're a witness to the, the the crime that happened to them, 
And so oh, think about, my, and, and, oh my God. so there's, there's more nuance around this than we have time to get into now. And there's sure, more sure, better sure. systems and all of that. But going back to law and order SVU, the, what we're taught in law and order SVU is that every survivor gets their day in court and they get to face the person who assaulted them and they get to see them go to jail that, and they get healing from that most importantly, right? We place right. healing in all of the healing eggs in the criminal legal system basket, we fail survivors over and over and over again because the system is is wildly flawed and often serves to just further victimize, further traumatize survivors in some really significant ways and not actually provide any increased safety. Out of every thousand rapes in the US, six people will be incarcerated. Jesus Christ. So all of that, which is to say that Oftentimes people who are pro who are leaning towards abolition of the criminal of the criminal legal system in prison industrial complex, yay. Then the question goes, well, what about rapists though? Yeah. And my answer is, well, rapists aren't going to jail anyway. So um, Right. Right. That's not yeah, the it's point. not funny. That's no, the thing. I mean, it, 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 totally. And this was, I mean, there's a million parts of this conversation. All of this conversation is important and and resonant. And I'm so happy to be having it with both of you. From a personal standpoint, one of the things I was most excited about in talking to you for the first time when we just talked off air was that for like since we started the podcast, you know, we've had people say like, especially because I came into the podcast being like Spike is my favorite character. Spike is still one of my favorite characters. Anya has edged him out, but that's another story for another day. But I have had a lot of people, not a lot, but I've had enough people say like, you you purport to be like this space that does all this incredible work and your favorite character is spike that's not like basically like you can't have that like you can't do that you can't and 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 not that this is the answer to that what you just said Jess but I just have from the beginning felt like I feel like it's a little more complicated than just like either I like the character of spike and I am a horrible person or I dispose of the character of spike because of this um sexual assault arc that happens in season six and so on and so forth. And so, again, I'm not like taking what you said and laying it just like flat over this. But I think that there's just something there that I needed <laughs> to help me figure it out. And I think you're exactly on it. And if we're thinking about listening to survivors, right, with Xander and Buffy, is Xander says, no, this person is completely out of our lives. And Buffy is saying, Buffy, who is the mm. person who was harmed, is saying, mm. no. Yeah, we need to create safety around Spike and looking into season seven, they straight up lock him up. They chain him in the basement, right? right. Um, they they don't <laughs> let him be alone with the girls. We need to create safety plans for sure. And Buffy is the one who's saying, no, no, no. I still want him in my life in this way. We're going to have some distance, right? but I still want him in my life in this way. And I think it's a really interesting parallel to what some survivors do in the, in the real world which is, mm -hmm. hey, this is the person who I depend on for financial stability. Mm -hmm. This is the person who I have all of these other memories with. Does this erase all of those other memories or does this act as one thing within the context that needs to be addressed and needs to be addressed in a really, really serious way? And this person needs to be accountable to this. But for folks who, who perpetrate sexual violence, what, where's the room for being accountable if the options are yeah, I go to jail. And uh, and 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 I would imagine again, just doing my own Kristen brain math. But like, I would imagine that if you're in that position, the likelihood of you uh, 
being violent in increasing situations is just going to compound on itself. If there are not avenues of nuance for these things, then you're just like, okay, well, then I'm bad. So, and again, not justifying this behavior, but these things are just not good for anyone. Well, that's exactly what the reports that you sent us said, is that like the harm increases and people who have caused harm are likely to cause different kinds of harm. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And like, ex, ex, in, uh, mm, the graphs are very disturbing. I'm sorry about that album. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> so the papers that, uh, that we're referencing also will be in the show notes uh, mm-hmm. so that you can check them out and, and you should, cause they are, uh, if you, if you feel up to it and able to, to look at them, they're a much deeper dive into the conversation that yeah. we're having here. Today. They're really fascinating and very useful to know, I think. Um, information that is very, very important, I think, to know. Um, I wanted to say about Xander and his reaction to Spike that I think Xander is also especially upset about Spike right now and wants him out of his life because he just watched him and Anya have sex, right? So again, it's like another question to his masculinity and Xander never slept with Buffy, right? So like, who is this really about? And what is it really about that Xander is so upset about, I mean, of course, it's an absolutely upset, so so upsetting what happens, but he's not making it about that anyway. I, I think also the Xander of it all it could have, if Buffy were listening to him, it could have prevented Buffy from getting what she actually wanted, which was first bike yeah. to actually apologize, which he does in season seven, yeah. um, which so many survivors want is I just want you to admit that this actually happened. Stop yeah. gaslighting me and yes. say that you are sorry. And say that it was wrong and say you won't do it, it was again. Wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that you're going to do something for yourself so that, mm-hmm. and for others so that you stop harming people. Yeah. And yeah. so few people actually get that because it then takes the person admitting that they did harm, mm-hmm. which could lead to them going to jail. Yeah. And so they don't. Mm-hmm. So all of this is to say that Buffy gets what, what so many folks don't. And that's because in her world, they, they exist outside of the criminal legal system for the most part. Um, yeah. Spike isn't going to jail, my goodness. Um, it's not Well, happening. the only person that goes through the legal system is the coded Black person, which is Faith. So. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, Jess, there's so many, I mean, there's so many uh, branches of this tree, but I wonder, like, I think what I'm picking up is that your feelings about this arc in this show are both and, right? Like, it's like, there are good things, there are bad things is is where you stand with this. Yeah, I mean, my feelings about most things these days is uh, (laughs) getting just really comfortable with the both and. Yeah, there are absolutely good things and absolutely bad things. I think it, for many people, felt like just this awful betrayal um, to do this to Buffy because so many people when watching the show, put themselves in the position of being Buffy is imagine themselves as Buffy. And so felt like it was something happening to the audience, not just to Buffy. And I think it flips the script on the monster myth in this really interesting way. And Mm -hmm. in making it anything but supernatural, they don't use through not using metaphor in this scene, they make it so much more accurate to, to real life assault than non-genre shows do in many cases um, which is just what the show tends to do when it's anything that is so closely resembling 
reality when anytime it's with guns, there's no metaphor. And with mm. the body, there's no metaphor. Right. Um, and interestingly, there's no background music, just like in the body in the scene, oh, there's no background yeah, music. That's right. That's true. There's nothing supernatural about it. Um, which means that we, which would have been really easy for them to approach this through metaphor. He is a literal monster, but they don't. Instead, they, they make it this moment where his most human thing that he does is sexually assault Buffy in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, or the most human violent thing that he does is sexual yeah. assault, sexually assault yeah, Buffy. Yeah. And it makes us look at it just like in the other episodes with just a different level of honesty and and reality than we would have otherwise, which, I mean, the nice thing about genre is it gives us distance from an issue so we can look at it without being so harmed. And then they took that away, which mm-hmm. is both powerful and harmful all yeah. at once. Yeah. Yep. And they did in the show talk, like do the sexual assault metaphor, I think a lot in earlier scenes through the genre, mm-hmm. like a lot of the vampire um biting is like very sexual or like that scene between Buffy and Angel when she's like drink me and he like Mm -hmm. finally bites her is like another sex scene between the two of them basically Mm -hmm. I think that they stripped that away for this episode is exactly what you're talking about like it has been addressed before but to have it so explicit and through this these two people who care so much for each other you know Mm -hmm. yeah I wonder if, if we have a moment just to talk about because you know we've interviewed James and we've talked to him about this scene and we've talked to other people who know about the show about this scene and the kind of like heartbeat of it all was they couldn't get the audience to I mean it would be lovely if it was like we were really trying to upend the monster myth (laughs) great job that wasn't it though right like what what the the store as the story goes they were trying to get the audience to hate Spike and nothing that Spike did was enough for us to hate Spike. So they put this here so that we would have something other than positive feelings about Spike. And I just wonder if there's anything to say on that before we march off into the great unknown. <laughs> I think they were effective in that way. In, in that, again, this is the one scene where I'm actually afraid of Spike, where I, yeah. I feel repulsed by him and because they they unintentionally but effectively produce so much nuance around his pseudo accountability process in season seven that and because they have Buffy respond to him in a really specific way and that that challenges some norms around sexual violence that it ends up making us repulsed by Spike and making us lean into his arc in a different way. Um, because at the end of the day, we all still want to root for, many of us still want to root for him. We, we want him to get his soul. We want him to get better. We want him to, you know, many folks in season seven, still cheering for Buffy and Spike, still shipping Buffy and Spike. Is that the term? Shipping? Yeah. I'm a terrible, I'm a failed millennial, a failed geriatric millennial. There we go. (laughs) I'm a geriatric Um, (laughs) millennial too. (laughs) Are you guys millennials? Aren't you Gen X? Well, we're I don't know. We're elder millennials. Elder millennials, yeah. <laughs> and, okay. So we are the same generation then. <laughs> yes. Well, debatable. Barely. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't I don't know that any of that was intentional. And then we could get into what are all of the terrible cultural things that 
keep us rooting for someone who right. assaults another person, right? We could go into that too. And and <sighs> I like to exist not on either side of those things, but very much in between. Yes, and that is that is why I'm so excited about this conversation because because that's it. That is it. It's like every layer that you dig, that's the same answer, which is keep talking about it. It's mm-hmm. nuanced. It doesn't get to just be that yeah. we put him in a cage or we forget it and it didn't happen. It doesn't just get to be any of those uh, things on any of the levels that we're talking about that like Mm -hmm. the only way we progress as human beings is by talking about the real ways that we feel about things which is I fucking like Spike and I know he did this bad thing and it's complicated because there's also a writer's room and there's also it's complicated so like unpack it let's unpack it because there's learning to do in here and James is a genius and there's a whole that's a whole other conversation of what it is to take an actor who has his own trauma trauma and having him do that scene which was also massively i mean you know if you listen to the interview with james that we did years ago he was in therapy about uh, about that scene for a long time um so that that's like a whole other that's a whole other side to this many-sided thing yeah there's a lot happening in it i mean that's the whole thing about this podcast and us really loving shows with some seriously problematic pieces is either we have to we don't have to pretend that the problematic pieces aren't there or throw it away entirely we get to talk about and through talking about the nuances and the complexities within we're more able to see those things in the real world i can say that looking at TV shows I love and highlighting the problematic pieces of it, about them, those things have made me better at being accountable when someone says that I've done something awful. When someone says that I've harmed them, I'm better at not seeing myself as either a t- terrible person or saying that they're being dramatic or making it up or whatever. This is practice. This is how we get better at being in the world as fully human folks who, who make mistakes and also have to be accountable to them. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and harming yes. people and being harmed by people, of course, on a varying scale is a human thing. You know, you can't, mm-hmm. you can't really go through life without doing both to some degree. Right. Without, without harming and without being, being harmed. harmed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just wanted to say, I was, I just watched, rewatched um, The Harsh Light of Day and Spike and Harmony's relationship is absolutely horrifying like absolutely horrifying and I was watching it through a new lens um this time and I was like this is the most triggering thing I've ever seen (laughs) like other than the the like rape like the sexual assault that happens in season six the relationship between Harmony and Spike is so normalized and it's so sexualized that it is just like so absurdly fucked up and their power dynamic and everything is just like how trivial it feels and we see her harm but how trivial it feels in in the show and how it's taken me until I'm 28 and I've been watching the show since I was 12 to even like recognize that there's a problem here that he stakes her and like how fucked up that is is so problematic how desensitized like I have been as a person I'm sure many many fans have been a thousand percent and her you know they give us they give us the tools that we want perhaps to have to not look at it as harm because Mm -hmm. it is very sexualized also and so you know I like it's like well 
she is she is uh, enjoying the power and the submission that comes with Spike. But then where is the fucking line? Because definitely it is crossed. Um, but if you don't want to necessarily look too close, you can just be like, well, it was just a... It's hot. Yeah, right. It's a hot. They had hot sex. And like, she's a vampire. So like him staking her is different than if she was a human. I mean, her fucking name is Harm. <laughs> and they camp it up so that yeah. the relationship itself becomes all, almost a caricature. The relationship becomes mm-hmm. a caricature where we get to think that it's silly and absurd and so and harmony isn't i mean you know the the, there's so much to be said about the fact that both harmony and buffy are white women Mm -hmm. white blonde um, because blue-eyed women yeah white blonde women because they they have a higher likelihood of being believed just by the nature of being white blonde women but on top of that there's another layer which is that buffy has a lot better chance of being believed than fucking harmony because harmony is just uh, walks through the world in a way that that so many people perceive as like she's stupid she's not smart she's not intelligent she's not trustworthy she's got her h- head in the sky she just loves unicorns like she's the person who really would n- not be believed between the two of them um when we're talking again w- about two white women but still it's like harmony nobody's gonna take harmony seriously yeah anyway <laughs> yeah um thank you both of you for being in this conversation it's just been so powerful to hear both of you talk about this and just to get your uh, expertise from a place where you dialogue about um, sexual assault and um, accountability every day and I know that it will be so resonant for so many people who want to dig in and like really want to see the many facets of this thing because it is not just an either or at all so thank you just so much for sharing your time with us thank you so much for having so much Jess thank you so much and for all the work that you do in your life that you have like dedicated to doing it's so incredible and it's very very comforting to know that there are humans like you doing this work Working with, right, like working with uh, young people to like imagine, like if you're listening to this and you are also an elder millennial or a regular millennial, imagine what your life would be like if when you were a kid, you you were thinking about this because I sure wasn't at all. And I'm learning it now as somebody who's 40 and it's still powerful but uh, how it will shape the trajectory of the world to have young people understanding this stuff now is it's immeasurable. So yeah, I echo Alba. Thank you for what you do. And working with young people is so hopeful. Most of my job is really hopeful um, because the way that they're starting at J where we're, we're starting at a, they're just starting so much further down the line in their understanding, which is brilliant. and it makes me think about where I've, where we've come in the sexual violence movement and what so many folks did for so long, just to be able to say the word rape yeah, um, yeah. that brought us to this point. Angela Davis, I saw her a couple of years ago and she, she said this thing. She said, the, the interviewer asked her about activists today and how she feels about young activists. And she said, you know, they stand on our shoulders. They couldn't do what they mm-hmm. do today were it not for what we did then but because they're on our shoulders, they can see things that we can't. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think about anytime I'm with middle school students and with their teachers who by and large regularly say, I wish I would have had this when I was a kid. 
yeah. is thinking about how much I'm going to be learning from those young people today and 10 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Well, as always, all of Jess's information and Alba's will be mm-hmm. in the show notes. And as part of today's episode, uh, we're supporting an organization. Jess, do you want to talk a little bit about the organization that uh, we're, we're supporting? And maybe our listeners, if they, if they can, can also support? Uh, we're going to be supporting Survived and Punished, uh, which I thought was really appropriate because Buffy fights back. I, I also don't want us to miss the fact that Buffy fought back and she got mm-hmm. out of it. She stopped mm-hmm. it, which gets lost yeah. a lot. Um, Buffy can fight back not only because she's a superhero, but because she's a young white woman and she fights Mm -hmm. back and somehow police are called. She's likely going to be believed that it was her that was being harmed. Um, that's not the case for so many, especially people of color, especially women, trans, non-binary people of color, um, people with disabilities who, when they fight back against the people who are causing them harm are, instead of being believed, Instead, they are incarcerated and are left there for sometimes many, many, many years. And so I thought that was a really appropriate um, organization to support. Yes, yes. And again, links to that organization will be in the show notes. Uh, We'll be donating. And if you can, you should too. Uh, Jess, Alba, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.